What's going on, everyone? This is Jake Hofer. This is The Land Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. This is with Brad and Tim. And so Brad and Tim, if you listen to Trocam Radio, they were guests. They had the Huff Buck. Yes, the number two all-time typical, the biggest typical ever shot in the United States on camera. They hunted it for multiple years. And that's how I got connected with them. And then after recording that first episode, um, you know, kind of figured out that they have bought multiple parcels. They do it in a unique way. They talk about how they use partnerships to purchase ground, and it really intrigued me. And it was a pleasure to uh, record with them, and we talk about a lot of different things here in this episode. It is jam-packed. It is a really good one. And I almost chopped this up into two episodes just because it was so long, but I've decided we're just going to roll with it. I hope you guys listen to the whole entire thing because it is a good one. It really is. So we cover some of the following in terms of how to structure a partnership, how to negotiate um, a timber harvest, how to find a good forester that you can trust, what parcels are worth buying, what are not, you know, in terms of if you have the goal of hunting big deer, which if you're listening to this more than likely, that probably is what you're up to. So really appreciate Brad and Tim taking the time as always. Please head over to the link tree, sign up for the email resource, and when we send out that email, it is going to be good. There's going to be a lot of really great information in that. If you guys enjoy the episode, please leave a written review. There's been a lot of them coming through here, and I really appreciate anyone that takes the time to do to do that. One last thing before we get into the episode, don't forget, the goal of this podcast is to help 100 people buy their first piece of dirt. Now, whether that means me helping you connect with a professional in your area or it's just you simply learning something that made you more effective going into your purchase. I want to know, I want to add you to my spreadsheet because it is my mission to help 100 people. So hope you guys have a great rest of your week. Hope you guys enjoy this episode. Here we go. This is a deja vu round two here because actually round three technically. So I have Brad and Tim here from Indiana. They, they, I felt like we broke the, the news of the Huff Buck and, and, confirmed all the details of how far that you traveled uh, before everything really broke even more. And then we did a land podcast and the world said, no, we lost it. <laughs> so we're, we're trying here again, uh, Brad and Tim, how are you guys doing here today? Good. How are you doing, man? Just, just another day getting back from Iowa, getting caught up. And uh, it's, it's fun to travel in all these States, but man, it, it can be a challenge to get caught up. Yeah. You've been uh, jet setting all over the U S haven't you? PA, yeah. Iowa. I think Indiana. Did you go to Indiana? Where else did you go? Uh, PA Ohio, or Iowa, and then really it's just that. But I flew. Of the last five weeks, I've been gone from home for like the last three. So, yeah, off-season work in the farm uh, has not happened because I've been gone. <laughs> but that's okay. Um, but you guys just left the the quest uh the quest competition the banquet, and you guys did pretty good too. What what happened yeah. there? Yeah, we um. Finished sixth place in Ohio, so that was that was nice. It was my first experience actually going to the banquet, so it was really cool. It was really cool, just yeah. a, an absolute amazing group of antlers and group of serious serious deer hunters. Yeah, I can imagine. It seems that competition continues to grow, and uh, based on the price packages, I can see why. It seems like they they do a really good job taking care of the contestants. Absolutely. They absolutely do. So in case these folks didn't listen to the other one, tell us a little bit about who you guys are and what you guys do for a living. Timmy. Yeah, I'll jump in then. Um, I sell beer for a living. Um, fantastic job. I manage a seven state region. So 
Um, you know, uh, talking about land and big deer is obviously a big passion of both of ours. And, um, you know, we live here in central Indiana, just outside Indianapolis and um, have a couple of different properties to hunt, um, kind of in the kind of southeast part of Indiana and uh, over in Ohio. So are you, are you a sales member for like the seven Midwest states or some of those Eastern states or? Yeah, we manage it. Uh, so we're, I'm on the, on the production side of it. So we actually make the beer and then we've got to sell it to our distributor partners who then go and sell it to, you know, different retailers that, that we would buy from. Um, so we manage the whole kind of, we call it a three tier system. Interesting. Brad, what do you have going on in your world? Uh, I am also a salesman. I sell <laughs> nuts and bolts for a living. So I manage uh, corporate accounts for an industrial supplier. Nuts and bolts. We got beer, nuts and bolts, man. That sounds like That's right. King of the America. Hill episode or something. <laughs> you guys are just... We're not too complicated of people, you know? Hey, there's more power to you. I like that. Um, so yeah, and I guess in case in case they didn't listen to the other episode, which I encourage them to do to learn everything about the Huffbuck, but um, I actually talked to Dustin very briefly at the Iowa Deer Classic. He was there um, with the Lucky Buck booth and it was the end of the... They're just starting to tear down. I was like, crap, I need to go up there and talk to him here briefly. So went up, shook, shook his hand, saw that deer in person. Holy cow. Gosh. Yeah, man, just something incredible. And, uh, was a pleasure to talk with and, uh, just down to earth and, uh, kind of like everything you guys said was, uh, very apparent when I spoke with him briefly. Humble as can be, uh, well-deserving of that deer. Um, you know, I, I, unfortunately he was here at the uh, outdoor show here in Indiana and I wasn't able to make it down to go see him, but I certainly wanted to see that deer again in person. Um, but I mean, what a phenomenal animal and just a really cool story. That whole eight miles. And yeah, I think, I think some people are showing up with some sheds now Yeah, here the previous year and he was darn near 200. Uh, you know, I'm hearing the age of the deer is five and a half, which means the first year we would have, saw him he would have been a two and a half year old deer pushing 160 just I mean, just uh, hard to hard to believe but yeah nonetheless they do exist they might be a unicorn but deer like that do exist and they're just it's fun fun to talk yeah. about when i was at the great american outdoor show it's a 10-day show and i don't know how many people came up to me like hey watch the video on the huff buck that was so cool <laughs> so i just wanted to echo that to you guys and uh, it, people that watched it really enjoyed it. And then it, that was like, right when the news broke that he was five and then people were, you know, making a point to, to talk about it. Cause you guys had multiple years of trail camera history. It wasn't just a, a whim of what you were guessing at that point. You had multiple years, years to build it off of. Yeah. Yep. We had three, right. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently we're really bad at judging, <laughs> uh, 200 inch typicals in terms of age. You're a little we're out off. of practice. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we're off by a, a year but yeah just a genetic genetic freak i guess and that was funny too because i know i know we talked about it uh afterward but honestly when we did this video then someone from wherever sent an email into the exodus account and sent a picture of those sheds laying on a archery shop counter and those are mm -hmm. indeed the sheds that are now floating around at the at the trade show so <clears throat> yeah <laughs> yeah we have um we have a picture or video of him with both sides the next day one side and then a couple of days later shed both sides so we know he shed very 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 close to us yes very close to us 
have you guys found out where they were officially scooped up or this year say yet or who knows not yet i hope uh you know i'm in the market for a new bow and i know that the <laughs> archery shop where the sheds the pictures of the sheds were sent to you yes and maybe, maybe i'll be able to get uh a little bit tighter circle on where that thing actually was found because it wasn't for a lack of trying on our part but sure um who knows yeah I, you know you think with them walking around on one side, the either a the other one's not far away, or b the second one's not going to be too far from where that video's taken. So, I think uh, it leaves the leaves everything else for imagination for anyone listening to this. Yeah. I could I could picture. I think, I think we were out there what three days after he shed the second close. side. It was real close. Yeah. Dang. Well, who who knows? I, uh, I'm sure the truth will eventually come out. So <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, it is what it is. But anyhow, um, so you guys are salespeople for a living. And this is all about, so because when we were talking about this, you guys own farms in Indiana, Ohio. And uh, I figured, hey, if you guys are buying and selling ground, it seems like you guys have a, a pretty distinct strategy on what you do. So what um, what's kind of just been a little bit of your guys' land purchasing journey of maybe when you first, what was the year where you first acquired your farm or a farm? I think so. First one we bought was a little bit um, eight years ago. I think is when we bought the first one in Indiana, mm-hmm. and then we added to that one. Um, and adjacent, then we, adjacent owner. Yep, yep. So I think the first parcel we bought was like uh, right around a hundred acres. Bought another twenty acres or so adjoining it timbered it two different times um sold it bought another indiana property and bought another 96 acres in ohio next to a small i don't know 30 30 acre piece that we hunt as well Mm -hmm. so that makes it hunt a little bit bigger than the 96 acres or whatever we own yeah and everything we everything we buy is with like, um, partners. So one property would be in my name. Another property might be in my brother's name. Timmy's got to buy a property in Illinois or Kentucky (laughs) or somewhere now. So Kansas, apparently Kansas, (laughs) probably. So that's kind of what we do. So that frees up, you know, it's not in four different people's name. You don't have to do the whole LLC game to you know get funding for it and loans through that and do that mm-hmm. whole thing. It's just kind of equal, equal contributors and makes it a little bit easier, cleaner. Um, you know, frees up your your, uh, your income. You know, as as an individual, um, so you don't have a bunch of different parties involved in that. And just becomes a mess if you try to put four people on the deed and all that stuff. So it yeah. like the easiest way for us. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty sharp because when we discussed this last time, I, I asked you, well, is this because of one of the reasons is if you buy ground as a group, let's say all three of us went and bought a ground, bought ground and that debt goes against all of our own personal debt to income. So if we want to go buy a different house or go buy a different property, the debt on it's even though it's divided by three, it's still carried as one. And obviously right that limits your purchasing power, even if, if you are a group that continues to do that. So is that one of the driving factors of re- the reason you did it? Yep, absolutely. So what could I buy? Maybe 15 to 20 acres on my own 
or I could buy 80 to 100 acres. You know, as as it gets larger and larger, usually the the, the price per acre goes down. Mm-hmm. So you just join and you know, buy a little bit bigger piece. How do how do you guys come up with that idea? Was that something that you just was it? Where'd you learn that from, or did you guys just kind of dream it up after you know bounce some ideas around? I think it just started out like my brother and I were like, all right, well, me and you, we don't have any properties to hunt anymore. I mean, leases are extremely high. Um, you know, we didn't, we don't come from farming families or anything like that. So, I mean, growing up, we had a like 11 acre piece, a 17 acre piece. And, you know, we had a, an uncle that had, you know, a hundred acre farm that we were able to hunt. But other than that, you know, it was, it was struggle. We lost, I don't know how many properties over the years, how many leases you kill a big deer on a lease and somehow somebody finds out and, you know, it gets bought out mm-hmm. underneath you or you know, whatever reason, there's a million different reasons why you can lose a property. Mm-hmm. So we were like, well, let's get something. Let's start growing our deer, managing our own deer. And, and that's how we did it was, you know, it was, I'll buy one, you buy the other and we'll have a few other people contribute and we'll be able to afford it not have too much risk into it mm-hmm. uh, should have some good equity out of the gate if everybody helps with you know a down payment and stuff and so once you have that much equity into it right out of the gate you know if something does go south another you know knock on wood crash in the economy or something you should be able to get out of it if an emergency arises relatively easily without too much loss yeah i mean that that makes sense and I've been asking a lot of people here lately, obviously I, I wouldn't, everything is still trending upward, whether mm-hmm. who knows for whatever reason, I'm not an economist, but a lot of these people say, even if things pull back, it's the rec land market necessarily doesn't see a 20 or 30% dip like uh, some yeah. markets could. So, I mean, that's, it's very stable and uh, you guys have reaped the rewards of a 20 to 30% run up, <laughs> not pull yeah. back in the last yeah. two years. So that's really cool yeah. that, that you guys have those locked up. Yeah, we were looking at some of the just trends for Indiana. It was like 11% increase last year. The year before that was like eight and a half. Mm-hmm. Ohio was about the same thing. I think it was even a little bit higher one year on average, just rec land, not necessarily mm-hmm. ag land, ag land. In the last few years in Indiana, went through the roof, especially in the areas we're at. Mm-hmm. And like a property down the street from where the Huffbuck was killed, about like, I don't know, it was a couple miles south of where the Huffbuck was killed. So six miles north of us, I mean, it was like, what was it? 60 acres or something went for 450 or something like that. Just, yeah, no ag ground, just, you know, old field region. Wow. Just, yeah. So, yeah. So that's what, uh, that's what some of the ground is going for now. And I don't know if that was, that was sold by a, uh, an ag company, I think Whitetail Properties or I can't remember which one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, they, they probably did their, their marketing to the hunters and found somebody that was willing to pay a premium for it just by the location and drop what's that, in the area. Drop that huff buck name right there. <laughs> you know, you know, they had to help a little bit skilled yeah. this county or, you know, however yeah, many but, miles away. I think yeah, so. Some guys out here doing podcasts, giving away the location. <laughs> I don't know who those people are, but hey, yeah. I know at least you guys are in pictures is on it. Yeah. <laughs> On the listing. <laughs> was it really? <laughs> no. <laughs> I've seen, I've heard and seen crazier things. So that's, uh, in, I'm in the line of real estate. And I look at some listings and it's like, 
Uh, well, oh yeah, this feels borderline embellishing. So <laughs> this trail camp property, this trail camp picture was property adjacent. Like yeah, yeah, yep. next county over. Yep, for sure. I, uh, I want to bring some uniqueness, maybe for just your listeners to understand yeah. too on this. You know, for me, I bought my first property with Brad three years ago. So okay. while they have been doing this for a few years, I had just recently gotten into the game, and really it was the the attraction of number one, you got to be trust trusting of the people that you're um, getting in into buying land with. Did you? You've got to be diehard deer hunters if that's what you're going into. You can't. Everybody's got to be on the same page. But the attractiveness of like not being a hundred percent on the hook for mm-hmm. everything that goes on, whether you're trying to put a building up, whether you're trying to put food plots in and everybody here's a poor man food plots and whether you need equipment or maybe you could buy a junkie tractor but that junkie tractor then becomes a little more affordable for the whole group and so the appeal of the way that they have set it up and then you know i'm i'm now in the midst of and in the mix of um just certainly makes it really attractive um price point wise collaboration wise Mm -hmm. um i know a lot of deer hunters can be you know i'm going to go do this thing on my own um, but it, it is really a fun experience to be around a bunch of like-minded people. And I think that's like the biggest thing, but I mean, I'm only three years into owning land mm-hmm. and, and figuring out the best ways to do it and how to do it, when to timber it and when not to timber it. And it's just, it's, it's a ton of fun. It consumes you. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> it certainly consumes you. So Tim, how did you get connected? Because I assume, Brad, on some of these other properties, you mentioned your brother, you've mentioned your dad. So it seems like most of the time it's been family. Tim, are you kind of the first outsider that's in this group? Um, no, there's there's one other guy that's in on uh, our Indiana property with us. He's a business partner with Brad's brother. Um, and so he was in on this a few years ago. But um, Brad and I met Happen Chance. We lived in the same neighborhood, but it was an awfully large neighborhood. We met Happen Chance um, at a mutual friend party. And it was like, I, I was talking hunting to somebody and, and his wife heard me and he shows up and he's like, Hey, he's a hunter. And, and I think Brad was like, okay, what, what does that really mean? <laughs> Knowing the, like the depth at which we hunt and devote our time and all that yep. stuff. And so then we just started talking and one thing led to another, led to another, led to another. And you realize you're both big idiots about it. Yep. And, um, and it's kind of hard not to strike up a friendship. So Brad and I have known each other for five years. And I think three years ago is when we got in our property, we leased the property the year before that together. Mm-hmm. You know, Brad was so knee deep into it. He helped me find a pretty good piece of property. that's actually close to where we bought too. And we've just got, it just kind of like kept going from there. And now I'm trying to, you know, on the search Ohio and, and, and everywhere. Yeah. I mean, we yeah. talk about Kentucky all the time. We've talked about Illinois. So yep. Yeah. It's, uh, it's just grown from there. That's exciting. And do you guys just, are you going to try to keep this tight knit group? Or are you going to continue to expand to get some bigger properties? Or, I mean, what's the expansion look like? Or is it just staying? I mean, what's your guys' vision? I guess what it boils down to. Uh, I mean, if you can have other people that are like minded, which there's not that many people out there um it, we'd be open to it but it's like man you got to be a diehard hunter or best case scenario a silent a silent investor that doesn't hunt so right you know yeah there are people out there that i talk to on a regular basis so they're like you know i'd like to just i saw Parts how much money. money you made on this one how much yeah. money you made on that one and 
I like land. Can we use it during the summer with just the family? You guys hunt on it. We don't really do that. But I mean, yeah, ideally we would like to roll in personally. And I think everybody else is the same way. You know, if you can get a, the right, the right property in the right area and expand on it as much as possible. Like right now we have a, a little bit of a home base. It'd be great if everything was in a nice two to 400 acre, uh, all contiguous, but I mean, a lot of senses, you know, it's great to have a hundred acre and then hundred acres, a couple miles down the road and another 40 acres, uh, you know, close by and just be able to hunt bigger deer. I mean, if you do, if you, it seems like if you do a lot of the right things, land management wise and deer management wise, you can suck in the deer from miles away to that little concentrated area. So you can hunt a bigger pool of deer and, you know, just make sure you get uh, in the right place at the right time kill the biggest one in the area so mm-hmm. i don't know there's there's a bunch of different ways to do it but i'm yeah. still i'm still definitely just learning so for sure so yeah i mean there's, it's, there's it's, a lot a constant, it's a constant process and, and the reason i asked too is i think that a lot of times too uh, deer hunting can bring out the worst in people <laughs> or it may bring out some of the best in people and so that's something on my mind like uh, a partition lawsuit like okay that i assume is probably an expensive situation so it's like to yeah. make sure you measure about a thousand times before you cut once, AK buy a farm with someone else because yeah. it could turn into an absolute nightmare. Yep. Yep. And I think like with us, we, I've never seen like the, the nasty side from serious deer hunters. Mm-hmm. You have the people that, you know, they do get upset, but it seems like more of the people that are just, you know, not focused on it. We hunt so much as, as a group that we're genuinely happy for the other guy when he That's kills huge. it. It's like yeah. we all did. And we film a lot of it, so we get to see, like, the actual deer we're hunting get shot and everything. That's what we usually join in in the the tracking jobs. And, you know, I've never been jealous of, like, one of us or even a neighbor killing a big deer. I know a lot of times I start out that way for the first, like, few hours. Like, damn it, I really wanted that one. (laughs) But then after that, you know, I'm like, all right, glad you got it. Glad we yeah. got to see it. Glad we got to put our hands on it. Glad a poacher didn't get it. There's so many other things. Yeah. You're like, all right, one of us got it. We all put in the work. He pulled the trigger. I would be upset if my dad shot it. He shot enough big ones already that <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't need anymore. He doesn't need any more big ones. It is one of those things, though. It's you got you got to circle yourself with the right people. You know, yeah. like I hope your listeners when they hear Brad and I talk about the hotspot, you know, there was a minute of depression. Sure. When you know a deer like that gets killed, but we are genuinely happy for that guy. Mm-hmm. And I hope that they know that. I mean, I still text him, you know, to this day, you know, and he's just saying, I can't believe it was me. And you're just so happy for a guy like that. And, uh, you know, and I mean, shoot, I think it was two years ago, Brad's brother stuck a big one and we drove like three hours to help him track it, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, he didn't, we didn't find it that trip. He killed it a couple weeks later, but um, we drove over when he shot his big one this year to celebrate. So it's, you got to circle yourself with the right people. And I think yep. that, that comes down to it. trust and ensuring when you're doing these land deals, man, you better be able to tell them the nasty and the, uh, stories and the good, you know, and trust they're going to want you no matter what. So, yeah, that's, that's good advice. And I, because I, the idea of how you guys have a structured is so great that I know anyone listening is like, God, okay, who can I do that with? And I, I just wanted to slow down just for a little bit. So people really yeah. think about like, okay, 
there's more to just doing this. Like there's a lot of implications to go in with. It's like, how much do you trust that? How is that person financially literate? Like, is that somebody, is he going to be able to make those payments every month? Like all those little things that, that should go in your mind and, and make sure you have an understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And once you get past that initial deposit, because we do put obviously quite a bit up front, mm-hmm. that makes the person that's, you know, the, the, the one that's on the deed, make sure that they're covered and, if anything bad did happen, there's, there's ways out without mm-hmm. too much risk, but again, it's everybody's comfortability and mm-hmm. their risk tolerance, I guess, is the biggest part of it. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I see the benefits outweighing the risks, but everybody has their own risk tolerance, I guess. Yeah, for sure. And so you sent over the kind of uh, one of the operating agreements you guys use. And so, cause I know that there's probably, okay, so we got some of these figured out, but what about, what about these, uh, you call them the Steven rules, right? Oh yeah. The rules. <laughs> so and I, I love so. that it's so black and white and it's already communicated and it's like, there's no, it's just black and white. So one of these is, uh, let's see. So any, okay. So some of them are pretty cool. Like, so any shed antler found by any member will be given to the individual that harvests said buck. That seems very fair and, and only logical. Um, any harvested buck must be mounted with a full shoulder mount or the antlers of the skull must remain on the property once dwelling is established. I love that too. Cause I, I mean, once you pull the trigger, that $500 bill there, like how, how bad do you yep. want to shoot it? And I, that probably saves some deer. I bet. Yep. Absolutely. It does. And so let's see. And then also it says that you guys highly encourage all the deer from the farm to be kind of displayed on you know, if you guys have a camp there now, some other interesting things, and I'll have to ask you uh, why or what this was structured for. So no member may hunt the property more than three days in a row in any given seven day period. And then no more than eight days in any calendar month, unless approved by all members. Is that just because these are hundred acre parcels? And if everyone hunted yeah. too much, the farm would just be burnt out. Yeah. We wanted to have quality hunts over them quality or quantity hunts mm-hmm. where people are burning out spots and stuff like that mm-hmm. also if you're like taking a a week's vacation um you want those those days to be as productive as possible and all of us have multiple properties so it's like all right can't be out there every single day of your entire rotation trying to chase the one buck that we all want to shoot you have mm-hmm. to break it up a little bit I think, you know, Brad and I live in Indiana. We're a little bit closer to our Indiana property than, than the Ohio property. So it just kind of, it's being fair to everybody who, who has a piece of the pie. Now, I would say, I imagine if Junior was daylighting and uh, somebody hit their third day, I doubt that rule would matter, <laughs> you know, sure. or not Junior, the hump buck, sorry. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know yeah. what I mean? Uh, like, you'd let it slide, you know? I think it's general guidelines to stay with it. Sure. You might have somebody in the same tree with you. (laughs) (laughs) So, and that's funny you mentioned that because I think anyone that's planning their hunts too, I mean, obviously everyone talks about, you know, hunting like different cold fronts, weather events, or, you know, trying to be strategic with your sits. It's probably keeping people off from hunting those farms on the marginal days and just adding unnecessary pressure. And like you said, makes it better for everyone. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely that's pretty sharp. Did you guys come up with that concept too? Yeah, I, I think that was just between all of us. So it was kind of an unwritten rule, mm-hmm. but we want to make all the unwritten rules written. There's transparency and ultimate clarity. 
everything's black and white. There's no arguing, arguing about, well, I thought you meant this. So years of experience with my dad, Stephen, has, has led us down the road we are with uh, making sure that everything's written down. That's that's funny. Is he the is he the goat of a, like the 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 goat for I guess the scapegoat for everything or no? Because I mean he's got a whole section in the contract named Afro. <laughs> <laughs> Quite a few of those roles. I think all the roles are probably written for him. For sure, <laughs> that's funny. And so and some of these uh, I can't I don't have it right in front of me right now, but some of those penalties are actually uh they're pretty stern. Yeah, what do we have on there? You can't. You can't hunt. $100 fine if you're shooting certain size deer and stuff. And I know what some listeners will be. Oh, why are you judging people uh, about the size of the deer and all that stuff? Again, it's the group of people that you're with yep. accepting all that. So. Yeah. But. Yeah. And yeah, because I think you get banned on a property if you break one of the rules. Okay, this is another one that I remember <laughs> seeing. Um, was if was it a five-year or four-year-old minimum? Four-year-old minimum. Four-year-old minimum or a target deer. So if there's like a, a three-year-old nothing eight yeah. or you know something else like that, we'll put them on the hit list. Or if there's a, a deer that doesn't seem like it has potential or whatever and somebody wants to shoot a deer, by all means. Sure. Here's some of the deer that are out there that you're probably going to see. If you want to shoot something, go ahead and shoot that one. So there's always plenty of targets out there. So... Yeah, there's not uh, there's not a lack of deer to shoot. It's just don't shoot the ones with a lot of potential. You know those 160 year olds, like <laughs> don't shoot that one, please. Yeah, I I think that's agreed upon upon everyone. Which is it's cool that you have those rules in place. And I think you know it's not. I don't think any of those rules are from a selfish standpoint. It's to make it better for everyone. Is really yeah. what the spirit of it feels like. So that's, yeah. that's very There's cool. Late season hunts, like the last couple of years, late season hunts have just been phenomenal. And I do think it's probably because of the lack of pressure that we're putting on any one piece of property and we're spread it out. And, you know, you're trying to let the certain deer go and you're putting food plots in and it makes, it makes for just a fantastic hunting experience all year, all mm-hmm. year. And we understand that some people are a little bit more trigger happy than <laughs> others. But they've also been able to contain themselves and pass some deer bigger than anything they've ever shot, you know, score wise or whatever. But sure. That's, he's talking to me. Yeah, so Tim, you got anything to say about that? Any defense? Yeah, I mean, yes, yeah, so there's a sad story this past year that really like broke my heart. But I passed a six by seven, I passed a, a beautiful 10, and uh, passed a nine point twice. And then uh, ended up shooting that nine pointer, and he was not a shootable deer. So, um, passed some really beautiful deer and made a colossal mistake uh, on, on one. And so, that's the, that's the little poke that I got. Well, you'll have that. So, the, at least it wasn't the six by seven, right? It was just the nine pointer. That's right. That's right. So, yeah. Okay. So, when you guys are looking to buy one of these properties, what what are some things that you're really keen in on that, that gets your attention that like, okay, we need to at least go look at this place. Yeah. From what I look at. So I start out with the neighborhood you know, what are the, I like pieces, good sized pieces that are next to really big pieces mm-hmm. or some sort of sanctuary. Sanctuary could be anything from just thick overgrown, nasty, which would make it hard for a rifle hunter 
to be able to sit up in a, you know, a box blind and shoot hundreds mm-hmm. of yards into a food plot or something. Um, but I also don't want to pay a premium for ag ground. So I'm looking at mostly timber. Uh, if it has timber value, fantastic. If it has, you know, conservation easement uh, program, that's nice too for us because a lot of times we're not going to be building a building or anything on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's a, there's a ton of different things that we look at, but I don't personally, I don't want to have a whole lot of little parcels joining, uh, you know, us on the, on less the neighbor, particular side, less neighbors yeah. to deal with or less neighbors less, to, to politic with. Yeah. Yeah. I also like uh, properties that'll be a transition area of some sort. So Creek bottom, river bottom, something like that. Some sort of, you know, watershed watershed macro funnel of mm-hmm. of some sort um where you can get deer coming from long ways away and then if you have the right habitat they're going to stick around for maybe a few days but maybe the entire year uh but at least give you a chance to kill them so those are a few different things that i look at but yeah mm-hmm. lower lower dollars per acre and something that we can afford obviously Mm-hmm. Uh, but with that comes, you know, less than ideal terrain features. So it might have quite a bit of slope to it, mm-hmm. but you know, deer, deer can put up with quite a bit of slope, but what they can't necessarily put up with is a lot of pressure from every angle, pushing them around every day. So that, that's a good point. And I think, I think terrain often gets a bad rap because I don't know how many times I've been walking farms with people and they're like, it's too hilly. Can't, mm-hmm. I mean, I can never drag a deer out here. How many deer are you dragging out a year? And if you shoot a giant <laughs> buck, you're gonna have so much adrenaline pumping through your <laughs> veins that you don't even care. Uh, yep. So, so that's yep. one thing. And it's like, well, it's not flat enough. But then at the same point, and I'm sure you guys know this, like with terrain, like you can cheat the wind so much more. The the deer oh, yeah. become so much more predictable with their movements. And I mean, do you see those things? Do you see those same things? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, big background where everything's consistent. No monoculture of any kind, you know, it's harder to key in on them. You know, the deer just move randomly through there. Mm-hmm. But if you have funnels, creek bottoms, ridges, saddles, you know, you name it, you know, different sections of different trees where you can put food plots in, you can have different access points. You can get creative with your access. That's a big part of it. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd like to have a, for us, me personally, I like to have a property that I can at least access from the south in some mm-hmm. form or fashion. Southeast would be preferable for a lot of the properties that we have. Mm-hmm. But um, and that's just yeah. to hunt the predominant north northwest wind. Yeah, and most of your cold fronts yep. are going to be usually with a north nor'easter, northwest or north. Yep. I'm just making some notes here. So yeah. I think uh, the properties that the size of the properties that we are buying to the, do they hunt big? And that's that terrain piece, you know, um, where we are, this property in Indiana is 104 acres, but you can hunt multiple guys on it, no problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and man, if the access is tough, it means nobody, it means the deer are gonna be there. So I think to, just to add on to it, do you have a vision for where maybe some food can be? Mm. Does it hunt big? And do you have water? Like I would say like those are kind of, the, the three critical ones yeah that's interesting that's an interesting point too yeah that terrain or access does allow for more effective hunting and have more people that's too which have some guys yeah 
Yeah, yeah. Like, what, like when you're talking about a group going in on it, you, you're probably going to have a couple of guys on a property on November 5th. So mm-hmm. can you can you support that and not be boogering deer all over the place? And mm-hmm. you got to be able to think about that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, we have we have you know some of the properties a deer won't go to one particular side of the farm it'll be completely different groups of deer so one buck he'll handle the north half and he'll he'll dominate that area and then we'll have another buck that he stays exclusively on the south side of the property and we're not talking about that big of properties either mm-hmm. some of them could be only 40 acres or 30 acres where yeah, that deer you know you have five or six cameras on a 40 acre piece you're going to know pretty much everywhere where that deer's coming through. And if he never hits that side of the property, you're not going to have a very good chance of killing him. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's pretty unique, I guess. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because I mean, anyone that has run cameras on any size of farm, it is crazy of how it almost feels like there's some invisible lines in the woods yep. of where you just, just don't. And like you see them on one side and they just, I don't know, which, you know, can be and great. You for, can go ahead. The other part of it is once you kill one of those mature deer, then it, it shuffles the deck almost. Mm-hmm. So the deer will just completely change their little core areas and you'll start getting a deer that was on one side of the farm exclusively and he'll switch over and take that other one's route mm-hmm. or his circuit that he runs, which is yeah. pretty cool too. The way that they you know have those those territories. Some deer, other deer they don't they don't care, they're all over the place. But yeah. Yeah, it's and that's the, that's the beauty of running cameras and, 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 uh, and running cameras in good areas too. Cause I think, uh, I assume you guys have learned a lot with running cameras, I guess, on a variety of good properties. I mean, it, I feel like you can learn so much more versus running cameras on crappy properties because there's just less information to process. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I think we have, I don't know. I don't even know if we've added them all up, but I think we have at least 20, <laughs> at least 20 something cell cams and then probably double or triple that and uh just regular yeah i mean when, cameras when you're hunting that many farms you have to i mean and and the interesting thing too is obviously if you guys were ever to, to exit on one of these properties having that entire catalog is huge when you go to sell it because not only you know not that you want to put every one of them on the listing but anyone that's serious like okay well this is this deer that went from two years old to six and we killed them. Mm-hmm. This is another deer that went from three to five. We killed them to show that you can grow and hold deer. Cause that's what everyone wants at the end of the day. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. And those listings that have that, I know I'm attracted to it. Yeah. I want to know like, and, all right, is everything on the up and up? You hope, you know, <laughs> hopefully nobody's stretching the truth on the pictures that they're sharing that are tied to that property, but it helps. Uh, all that stuff helps to have the history of, of what you've done. Um, you know, maybe what you killed the first year or what you killed in year five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's awesome. So what about, uh, what is, so we have some of your guys' checklist now. What if, and you said conservation easements definitely uh, bother you guys and just for anyone listening. So it, it could depend on what that is, but basically you can't build on it or you can't put crops on it. It, it all depends. I mean, there's different varieties. So just so someone yeah. has an idea of that. And a lot of times it is cheaper because, there's a limited lot of use a lot cheaper yeah have you guys bought any of those yet nope looking at a couple right now but uh-huh. you know that's for us it would be ideal to have at least a property close by a property that has one of those easements mm-hmm. so i mean if you can get one of the neighbors to sell you a quarter acre mm. off of that conservation easement property 
then you'll be able to you know, build whatever structure you want because it's not going to be on that parcel. But at the same time, you know, if if nobody's going to sell you anything around it in the entire county, it probably doesn't make sense. But so know, always that's something. really interesting. So you're kind of almost trying to piece together two deals in tandem because mm-hmm. you know the one is obviously you're limited to what you can do. But man, if you could buy five acres and put standing corn or whatever on it, you're going to have some really great hunts. That makes sense. Yep. And so, and like you said, they're all different. They're all yep. usually regulated by the County park service or so I can't usually the County of some sort and usually the County parks or state parks or something like that. I don't know. Everyone that I've run into has had slightly different rules on it. Mm-hmm. Some of them you can do select slash salvage timber cuts on it. So you can actually turn a profit there. Mm-hmm. You know, other ones do have ag on it. So you can do some cash rent. On it, you can do food plots as long as you're not changing. I can't remember some what the stipulations are on there, but just don't change the overall look of it. Don't put yeah. structures on it, yep. you know, temporary or permanent in some situations where a box blind would count as a temporary or permanent structure, which wouldn't be allowed by some of the parks districts. It sounds like so. definitely want to do uh, additional layer due diligence if you're looking to buy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe For two sure. layers. So would you guys buy a property that only had easement access? So let's, uh, let's picture it's kind of without, a, okay. Without hesitation. Oh, why, hesitation. why is that? Cause some people claim up. So I'm just asking. Yeah. I, I think it creates a, a sense of seclusion. Um, you know, if you're, if you're going on an easement all the way back and of course, Brad mentioned it, the neighborhood, right? Like there's a lot of things that got to fit, but I, if, if you've got a quarter mile easement all the way back to your 40 acre plot, like that would not stop me from wanting to get down on it. You know, we have a, we have a neighbor who actually did that. He's got a quarter mile easement and there's gets flooded and stuff, but he bought the right ATV and he can access, I think it's 70 acres or something. Um, but it's surrounded on one side by a river. It's, it's, he's, it's, and man, he had some pictures of some really big deer. So it's kind of, I wouldn't, it wouldn't stop me if you know that there are big deer in the neighborhood and you've got ag around you and it's kind of like this secluded area where, man, not everybody's probably going to, tra- uh, you know, actually could be up against some public land too on the backside. So I, I would not be hesitant to it, but it's, you know, you've got to go walk the property and do your due diligence on mm-hmm. the piece, but it would not scare me. Okay. That's good to know. Um, okay. And so I had another question when you were talking about that. And it's, it's escaped me since then. So, oh, here it is. So when you guys are buying into an area that you you don't know, so like I assume the part in Ohio, maybe you didn't know the neighborhood very well. How do you go in and become basically, not, I wouldn't call an expert, but become, uh, I guess, competent enough to confidently buy a parcel just from looking at the names or what, I mean, what do you all, what all do you do? Everything and anything. Call the neighbors, <laughs> talk to the neighbors, stop and see them. I mean, we did all of those things for the Indiana property. We knew the area didn't know the neighbors mm-hmm. um but the ohio one yeah talked to neighbors went out and met with them connected with them on linkedin got mm-hmm. to know them prior to purchasing it but that's mm-hmm. my biggest concern with buying a property the number one concern is yeah. probably the neighbors once i've kind of vetted yep it's a it's a property that's worth looking into get to know the neighbors is the neighbor the you know the conservation officer in the county or multiple counties that that could be a positive mm-hmm. uh, for some people it could be a negative i, I would view <laughs> it as a positive but right. yeah we have 
we have the, uh, in Indiana, we have the conservation officer hunts the property that borders ours. Mm -hmm. So he's stopping in all the time and good to build a relationship with him. (laughs) Yep, exactly. He's like, you know, somebody trespasses on your property, send me the Onyx pin. I'll have my dog over there. We'll get them. No problem. So that's awesome. That's, that's, that's about the best kind of neighbor you can get. So what about a little more detail on the neighbor? Yeah. Surrounding our property in Indiana uh, is a, is an owner of, I think it's 1200 acres. You know, it's one owner farmland, but it kind of surrounds us. So like when you're talking about like, what do you mean by looking at your neighbors? Like, do you have 15 small sections of land surrounding this hundred acres? Or is there a piece that's like, you know, two, 300, is there one or two owners? Are there, does that owner own more pieces of property around it? And I think that was really attractive. And then we had a chance to talk to those neighbors and they're big deer hunters. Mm-hmm. And so then you're like, all right, so we're buying, we're in the, we knew we were in the right neighborhood and then you're surrounded by this guy and you just have to do a little work. We, you know, we, we were out on the roads and we bumped into these guys and you have conversations with them. Um, and, and that's like the type of work when you're saying like, what do you mean neighbors? Like, you're not going to go knock on every door sure. probably, but but if you can look at a map and kind of, hey, that's a hundred, that's a two hundred, that's the same owner of all this. You can kind of say, all right, this is this makes sense to buy here. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, you, there's two. Would you rather have a neighbor that is, okay, so you guys are buying hundred acres in this area. There's a guy that has four hundred acres, and he's a maniac. Like he's a maniac in a whitetail fashion. You know he's going to kill the biggest deer that's in the neighborhood every single year. Would you rather have that guy or the folks that are kind of like bumbling around and they're probably only going to kill one real big deer every 10 years, but they're going to kill like a two or three year old every single year. Which one would you rather have? I personally would rather have the big deer hunter. Okay. That means you're going to have multiple three, he's not, four. He can only kill one of them. But Yep. And now he if has- he's got a whole big family and they all kill big <laughs> ones. Uh, it might be a different story, but personally, okay, look, he's got two best be friends. Better. He's got two oh. best friends too. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Now, now I'd rather have the bumbling, stumbling guy that only comes out there for gun season and shoots the first one he sees. Yeah. So what about I mean, you? I've had, oh, I've had good ahead. experiences on both. Yeah. I, I think I'll probably lean it towards the big deer hunter, but man, if he's a prick, that would, that be a deal would, breaker. I, I would, that would be a deal breaker. Like, yeah. I just want him, like, he doesn't have to be like an overly nice guy and overly commutative and send yeah. me his trail cam pictures, but if he's a prick and, you know, setting up on your fence line and then, then no, I wouldn't, but I would sure. probably prefer to have the diehard big guy who wants to shoot big ones and grow big deer. Yeah. It increases your likelihood of catching one too. Yep. For sure. I, I think that's great. Now, the, I mean, they both have benefits in, in some form or fashion. I think it probably depends on the size of the parcel you own. And it also depends on the parcel size that they have too. So, I mean, there's a lot of variables. I mean, that's, that should be a chart somewhere that people can use a slider. <laughs> like, okay, this is the perfect neighborhood. Uh, I'm gonna write that down. I'm gonna put that on, on, a, on a project sheet here, but um, okay. Well, that, that makes sense. So basically you guys pull out all stops to figure out what the heck you're getting into before you pull the trigger. So when you guys were thinking about buying that Indiana property, did you actually say, Hey, we're thinking about writing an offer or did you guys already write an offer on it? On that one. So what happened with that one? There's some, there's a whole bunch of weird stuff that came for sale and then it went pending and and then it split. And then 
we put a contingent offer out there and I think they had a first and first right of refusal with the other guy that was trying to buy it or something. Bucket probate too, family probate because yep. it was a family deal, so we had to wait a while on that. Like it was, it got it got to be a pretty messy deal. Mm-hmm. You just got to be patient to let that stuff work itself out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. especially it took a while. probates. Yeah, when there's yeah, you hear about siblings fighting, let alone uh, in a situation like that. Yeah, it's hard for all of them to be on the same page. Had to agree on the price, and yep, we were just sitting there waiting. Dang. Well, and we we had all for that one. It was like, all right, Indiana season is over in January. We had the other property sold within like thirty days or something of putting it on the market, and then we put. We we had a drawn out close date to closer um, to the time we were going to buy the new one, and I think they did end up closing like on the same day or within within a week of each other. So we were able to roll the proceeds from one into the other, mm-hmm. and it just happened to work out pretty well. But you know, that's when we sell them, we we list it basically right at the end of the season. So when people are walking the property and stuff, it's causing the least amount of disturbance. Yep. And then, you know, once you've sold one, you can hold off on the buying the new one as long as possible, mm-hmm. really, up until you know you want to do your food plot stuff and have the property calm down a little bit before the season. But there's no reason to own a property all all spring and summer unless you're a big turkey hunter or mm-hmm. really want to do some serious work on it. But mm-hmm. well, in my phone always picks up. Uh, like January, honestly, Jan- the end of December, January is it just picks up and they're like, Hey, do you know, do you know anything coming up? Cause they had a crappy season Yep. or maybe they lost that lease. Maybe they lost permission to that ground. And now they're like, I'm sick of this. I'm going to go buy a farm. And then that anyone that's, yeah, I mean, it happened. I mean, it's just, it's, a, it's just a cyclical thing. And then if anyone that's actually worth their salt in the deer woods, that's when they want to walk a property anyways. Cause they can yep. not I would read it like a book see how much signs on there, how much food standing, you know, all those different things. So, I mean, the property's more ugly for a visual aspect, but from a actual hunting perspective, it's awesome. Yeah. From a deer hunter's perspective, you know, all the cards are out there mm-hmm. so you can see everything that's going on and yeah, schedule it around March 1st and you can pick up a couple sheds out there. Walking <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, for sure. That's yeah. That's funny. Um, okay. So I think, I think that covers a lot of the things here that I really wanted to discuss on the do's and don'ts in terms of that. Now we discussed last time and we've, we've partially talked here in terms of timber on a property. So that is very important because I think it's a, probably one of the most overlooked things for people that are buying their first piece of ground. Cause they, they just don't know, they don't know what they don't know. And so you guys have had some experience in timbering properties. I know you're not loggers. I know you're not a forester, but you've been on the other side of the table. So what's been your experience in the past? Let me start this one off because you have the experience with it. But I will say to really push me into purchasing land was watching Brad, his brother, Annette, and that and Joe and his, and his dad, Stephen, um, on a property in Indiana, get it timbered and then get it timbered again. And knowing the value that that timber brought and how it offset, whether it's your mortgage payment for the year, whether it's uh, you, you, know, you take that and you put it back into food plots or, or acquisition of more land, 
to then bring more value to the overall piece of property to then watch to know what they sold it for from what they purchased it for was kind of like this is a game changer a little bit and and i and i had no idea i always thought like cutting timber like okay you're gonna go pull five ten grand off of it and then you see what pulling 25 or 30 grand off of looks like and you're like man they barely touched this thing mm-hmm. you know and and you can still hunt it and they're still getting pictures of big deer and in two or three years it's thicker it's, it's better habitat so that was kind of like one thing where I was like, good Lord, this is, this is like a, a miss on probably a lot of people's charts of what they could really do with a piece of land. And so with that, I'll stop because I think Brad, we've had some people out at our current Indiana property to look at some stuff and gotten good feedback. Like, Hey, you might need to wait to get maximum value when you get, you know, we're not making that call. We're not timber experts, but you get people that'll say, Hey, I'll give you a bid or, give you time but i mean brad kind of has led the charge on a lot of that stuff but i would say that it's a game changer mm-hmm. of, of an eye opener of, of what what you could do with it mm-hmm. yeah from from my perspective the most ideal situation would be to have somebody timber it right before we buy it so i'm not taxed on that timber value mm-hmm. as so, ordinary income as it rolls in yeah exactly exactly in, in my eyes that's the way mm-hmm. that i look at it i don't want to you know, they, they take off a hundred grand in timber, but usually it'll come right off, off the price of the property as a hundred grand versus if it's income for me, mm-hmm. it's only whatever, 70 grand worth. So mm-hmm. out of pocket, that's the way that I look at it. But from a timber value and people, the way people market some of these properties, they all market it as it's got timber value. If it has so, trees, it has marketable timber, timber marketable <laughs> yes. timber. You walk out there and you're like, no, I can't get a, got to come out here and on this 10 acres to pull out you know these two ash or poplar trees or whatever <laughs> but from and and the first first time we timbered a property had the uh, i used an agent so the state forester um build a rapport with him just walking through the property with him was almost you know worth way more than the uh, the fee that we paid him the, the commissions that we paid him on it just you know here's a i'm from you know ohio where we don't have persimmons whatsoever Mm -hmm. and he's like there's a massive persimmon grove right here just you know cut these trees around give it a little light and you're going to have a massive uh crop of persimmons and you know hey by the way deer love those Mm -hmm. so we did that it blew up and yeah you'd have deer coming from all over the place to hit those persimmons when they're dropping but so the first the first timber harvest we did, it was a very select cut. It was to one area that we wanted to put some food plots in. So our thinking was, all right, have them come in here, do that, pull out some cash. We'll be able to pay somebody else to come in here, put in a couple acre food plot in this particular area, and we're not out of pocket anything to do all that. So we did that, and the area that they 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 timbered increase the habitat for the deer in terms of, you know, a lot of ground cover, the deer flocked to that area before we even had food plots in. And I'm like, well, we got another essentially 75 acres that we could have them out there and take a look at, see what we think we can get out of that. So the, uh, the agent that we worked with or the forester that we worked with, he did one of those closed bids or whatever. So he builds mm-hmm. it out 
he asks us what you want to take and where and you know when you want people to come in and take it and obviously you know the busy season for loggers is going to be right in the middle of deer season so maybe that did limit our offers to a degree but at the same time we have the property for deer hunting so we're gonna deer hunt at the few seasons that we have left um but i mean it just worked out extremely extremely well i think the second time we pulled timber off of it we did a little bit more aggressive pulled like 75k worth of timber off of it mm-hmm. and it didn't change the look or the feel of the property at all had some better trails through it for us right. because they did come out and regrade some of the trails but other than that you couldn't you really couldn't tell really how many, couldn't tell horribly. how many do you remember how many trees they took for that was it uh it was about two trees per acre okay so okay. it was i think 200 so and about a thousand bucks an acre something like that I mean, yeah it was really only on, acres yeah yeah it was on 75 acres I think we had like seven acres of food plots in there oh wow so more than that i mean yeah when you're only taking three trees per acre you don't notice it at were, all were those what, what were the species like some walnuts Yep. So that one, we did have a good crop of black walnut. So I think they took 50 uh, black walnuts over 26 inches in diameter. Those are big. I think is what it was. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, there were some big ones. And then the rest of it was nothing really valuable. I don't think they pulled out hardly any of the oaks because we wanted those for some some of the, uh, the mast producing mm-hmm. trees. But it was mostly ash poplar a couple cherries just the way they were leaning or you know had a whatever reason he had plenty of very good reasons why mm-hmm. to pull certain trees from certain areas maybe it could be one had a tree that was leaning against it or it was split at the trunk or you know he had a ton of different reasons that made sense to us why he was pulling very specific trees mm-hmm. but yeah most of it was ash and poplar i think 200 of the trees were ash or poplar Mostly, mostly uh, pallet wood. Yeah. So, in you know, you mentioned you got your value worth out of the the forester coming in. What I mean is that if you had to do it, or if someone was saying, "Hey, you know, what what advice would you give me?" Would you say that's a must need to have a that's, forester come in? I mean, unless you know what you're doing. I mean, sure, which I don't think most people do. <laughs> I would go meet with them, get a feel for them. I mean. I feel like I, I can just them pretty well after you know being in sales for so many years. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, yeah, do you trust them? Do you think they're doing right by you? And what else do they have to offer? And this guy that we met, he was, I mean, he was he was awesome all the way around. You know, any questions that we had, he wrote up the agreement just like or the bid package, mm-hmm. just like we asked him. He let us know the repercussions of doing it certain ways and everything. But yeah, when you don't really know what the heck you're doing, you're kind of at the mercy, but he also educated us a ton on, you know, board feet calculations and, you know, stump value versus whatever, whatever the, you know, all the terminology, but that at least made me have a warm and fuzzy of who we were using with it. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, for other properties, he's like, all right, well, I'll come out, take a look. You could probably cut it. You could probably not cut it. You're going to have max value in seven to 10 years versus do it now. 
-hmm. and he's just honest about it. So, I mean, you can see like the property we bought in Indiana, the other one, it's got a, again, a great little grove of black walnuts on it. And they're in that probably 18 to 24 inch range. So on the smaller size, Mm -hmm. he's like, you know, you guys can have somebody come out and cut it. There's plenty of people that'll do it, but you know, if you want to maximize your return, give it a while, you know, cut down some of the less, less desirables, do legitimate TSI, um, in the area for timber value and, you know, go that route, which, you know, anybody that's telling you not to use them and declining commissions on something when they could make it says a little bit about their character. Yeah, no, that that's very true. And I, uh, for Tim loggers as a, I mean, there's, there's a lot of reputations across many professions across the world. And unfortunately loggers is trustworthy is not one that comes to mind when people no. talk about. Them. So I also, I also go out there and meet with the people that are actually doing the logging. Too. Oh, cool. So make sure they, they don't, I mean, as best you can and ask politely as you can, Hey, don't create big ruts. If you do, please grade them when you're done with the trails. Mm-hmm. A lot of times like, well, we have the equipment out here and so-and-so he's just sitting there like a bump on a log. Might as well have him doing something with the equipment that we have out here. Yeah. So, a 12 pack of beer. I'm pretty sure yeah. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's a good point. And I think that's one of the hidden benefits of, uh, of a, getting a property timbered is the new road system. Uh, if mm-hmm. it's, if it's done nicely too, cause that's really expensive to do on your own. Oh, for sure. I mean, if you have an old road system, even in it, it needs a ton of cleaning up I mean, they all need quite a bit of maintenance. And when you have that equipment going through there and they can just, you know, regrade the entire trail through the entire property mm-hmm. and you can, they were very good about, well, where do you want us to create these trails? Where do you want our main traffic? That's really to be? cool. That's yeah. Really I'm cool. like, all right, we'll keep it just inside the perimeter of the whole property so I can, you know, use the whole property. Your, yep. Yeah. Yep. Keep the sanctuary. That's my opinion. Keep the sanctuary in the middle and yeah. You know, you can access it on different winds and stuff like that, but it seems to be what works for us. Yeah. And the interesting thing too, and getting multiple opinions or having a, a forestry in your corner that you trust is you can only cut, I mean, you can only cut a 26 inch walnut one time in your lifetime. I mean, so it's like, you want to make sure you're doing it proper because, uh, I would feel a sense of remorse and regret. It's like some, like, you know, uh, some level of form of disrespect for the tree. It's like, man, you yeah. you were worth twice as much as what I got. You know, that's on me. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure there's tons of people that are listening to this podcast like these dumb asses. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> Probably. I, I'm going to tie this back to the group of people that you're with, too, <laughs> by the way. Because if we weren't with people who are wanting the best and to maximize the property, we, you could have a partner who's like, hell no, cut that thing. I'm taking the money. But we're all on the same page at the end of the day wanting to maximize the properties that, we, that we're in on. And again, it comes back to having the right people. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, there's, I think there's a book on it, like getting the right people on the bus. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's in, in every facet of life. And like, and I think we're all on the same page with this thing where it was kind of like, you know, this is essentially my first, you know, three years ago. I was like, man, let's go, let's go pull this 20 grand out. This would be <laughs> great. And then yep. it's like, well, this not, it's not the right thing for the piece of property. It's not the right thing for this moment. We gotta wait, and so it was. It wasn't like there was any more negotiation or talk about it. It was like, okay, you're right. The expert said, wait. We're gonna wait. So yeah. it's just really good to have 
kind of that feedback. For sure. Now, um, you mentioned in terms of you, you would almost rather have one that was cut right before when you buy it. Is, is that like you're, you're negotiating and you guys can't come to a price and you're like, hey, well, log it and whatever income you get off of it, keep it, put it in your pocket, take it off the price. Yep. That would be ideal for me and uh-huh. my eyes. Sure. Because, I mean, some of the best properties we've hunted, uh, it was right after they, they logged it like a severe, you know, significant cut mm-hmm. you know, the, the, for whatever reason bucks in particular love to come to those, those fresh cuts that mm-hmm. at least that first year, right after a heavy cut, we've had great experiences and maybe that was just random, but I think it's happened twice now. And both mm-hmm. times that was one of the best years that we've had best properties, you know, the amount of mature bucks coming into that particular area. So do you for think whatever reason, do you think it's the fresh new re- growth or the additional cover or mixture of all combination? Yeah. I, personally, I think it's a combination. Mm-hmm. All those stump sprouts coming up all over the place. I've heard a study somewhere, some point in time, talks about just like, you know, the stump sprouts from just uh, maple trees and stuff. The protein content, the palatability of it, and all that stuff is is pretty much through the roof on all of those. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you put your trail cameras out and you see how the deer just come in there. Even when you're like, uh, you know, cutting shooting lanes, you'll see the deer come up and eat, you know, particular leaves off of trees that you cut down. So I mean, mm-hmm. there's something to be said for it for sure. Well, and the other thing too, is it's no secret that a property is pretty damn ugly after it gets cut too. Mm-hmm. And obviously that creates an opportunity for you to buy if you're wanting to look past that and like, I'm buying this deer hunt. I don't really care what it looks like, but there's a lot of retail buyers in that space that are deer hunters that aren't going to buy it because it's not pretty. So right. yeah. you, how do you guys get over that? It's just, you know, what your end goal is and look past Well, I it. think to me, I see deer habitat and all the sure. biggest, best properties that we've, we've hunted have come off the nastiest, thickest looking, you know, overgrown, uh, regen properties that we've, that we've hunted. So mm-hmm. I see all that nastiness and I think big bucks. So mm-hmm. we're going to have less people walking through it. The deer can't see as far through the understory and there's a ton of, you know, food and cover for them. And usually those are the two things that are lacking around the areas that we hunt food and cover. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just makes that property stand out in its particular, you know, micro system there well and can't, and the, can't go lose ahead. sight of can't lose sight of what your number one goal is and that's to keep big deer yeah and uh if you're in the neighborhood you got good neighbors you got good like regardless of what it looks like you can have a landscape i guess you know <laughs> but if you but if you're in if you're in that neighborhood that's the number one goal is just to get yeah. on a good one that's and you also a good point you also have that feel that it's a bigger property when it is, when you can't see across it. So you can be standing on a big Oak flat with, you know, mature timber, you can see 500 yards and you know, that takes up a lot of real estate seeing that far. And it just doesn't feel that big mm-hmm. as opposed to a, a particular property where you can drive the whole thing back and forth all day long and not be able to, to see all of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it just, gives a bigger presence or it feels bigger when you can't see across the, uh, the understory. Well, the terrain plays into that too, as well. Yep. 
Yep, um, absolutely. We discussed earlier. And the other thing too, you know, I assume where you guys are at, it's a kind of a mixture of fingers and mixed ag and, and smaller tracks of timber. I mean, I'm sure there's some good tracks, but that's the other thing too, where there's not, a, I assume a lot of tracks that are getting cut heavily and that makes it pretty easy to make your property different versus, you know, all the other ones that are, have a sugar maple grove and a mixture of a hardwood grove and it's junk for a lot for, sure. for most of the year. For sure. Yeah. A lot of our neighbors have mature timber that hasn't been cut uh, in the last 20 plus years. So the deer stay on us for cover, food. Uh, yeah. In October, when those, you know, white oaks are dropping, they might leave for a little while, mm-hmm. you know, a week or two at a time. Best they seem to come back. That's the best time to have your deer running away from you, I think, because no one's killing them during that two week yeah. period, anyhow. So yeah. it kind of it kind of works out. Um, it's a it's that October lull where they just lay in their bed and the acorns <laughs> will drop right next to them and they just lean over and pick them up, munching. Yeah, mm-hmm. which yeah, so that's that's very interesting. So I'm trying to think here. If I don't recall. So when you guys got that sealed bid back to, did you guys use that as an opportunity to negotiate one more time? We did because they didn't give, uh, they didn't give us everything that we were looking for. Okay. So I think, I think we just negotiated one time. We were like, well, this is the number. I think that's what we came back with was this is the number that we thought it was worth. Uh, and we were prepared to you know, walk away. Yeah. We were prepared to walk away, but if they wanted to meet that number, that was our make or break. Mm-hmm. and they're like oh sure yeah whatever it's another five or ten grand or whatever it was mm-hmm. and uh yeah they just made it happen away we went so Great. i think we did call i think we did call both of the because there was two bids submitted and we let both of them see if they were allowed to or see if they to ask for mm-hmm. so and i think um one of the question here too is you guys are both sales guys. You guys have both, you know, have bought multiple properties. What's some negotiating tips? I let, I let my wife handle all that. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, it's like, it's the obvious one. Uh If you haven't asked, ask. Uh Don't be afraid to ask for what you want. Like that's at the end of the day, kind of like sales 101. You don't have an ask. You don't have a sale. If you're, if you're not asking for exactly what you want, you're either going to walk away and you're going to say, I can't believe they didn't. But if you ask what you want, you, like you'll never know unless you ask exactly what you want. You'll never know. Um, whether that's a low ball offer or including something on the property, um, if you don't have your ask and your expectations set, you're just, what is it, planning? Failing to plan and planning to fail. And there's other stuff too, like our values are much different than most of the landowners. So where we see value, they might not care whatsoever. Um, So don't be able to, don't be for, you know, feel free to ask for some of those weird things that might sound weird to to someone else that we're, we're deer hunters. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's what our objective are. So it, it might make sense to us and be worth a whole lot to us. But mm-hmm. to them, they don't they don't care one way or another, mm-hmm. and just yeah, those are those are some of the things. Like like Tim said, if you don't ask for it, you're never going to get it. So. Yeah, that's 
the world were, the world was made for people to ask questions. So that's, uh, that's really good advice. And I think it's so simple that it, it could work in terms of like, can you sell for this? Because that's where I'm at type deal. And, and we play off the being a dumb guy really convincingly. We're We're asking a lot of questions. We're uh-huh. asking a lot of questions. Well, uh, that's, I mean, whoever has the most information wins in any negotiation as well. So uh, how do you get information by asking questions as well? Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's good advice there. Okay. So this is, you know, we're looking at your guys's land journey, your multiple chapters deep. And there's someone listening right now that has zero acres and they want to get in, they want to get started so bad. And so in your guys's opinion, do you think that land ownership is achievable for everyone? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I wish I would have bought some of the smaller properties that I had opportunities on when I didn't have a pot to piss in, you know, 20, 20 years ago. So right out of college, I'm like, man, really passed up on some properties that I could have afforded if I just didn't go to the bars, you know, <laughs> one time, one time less a week, yep. I could have afforded that property. But, and, you know, now land prices are what they are, but I think that still rings true is, you know, start small, whatever you can afford, it'll appreciate, well, the, the last you know, several hundred years, the land is appreciated at a, at a pretty constant rate. So minimal risk there and you can flip it into a bigger one. So you know, there's many different ways to do that, but it's, it is usually very, very, very often an appreciating asset. So put it in there, flip it, get a bigger one. And you keep, you know, as, as your, your liquidity increases, I guess, you can have the opportunities to get larger and larger and larger. So, and you have, you don't want to make your mistakes on a very, very big property Love where that. the uh, risks are a lot larger, you know, start small, learn. That's what we did. It seemed to have helped us out in the, the bigger deals or more deals. So yeah. start small, work your way up, learn a lot. But you know, people that are a lot more educated than us, they might have a different route, but you know, I like to start small, learn a few things, feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. And then kind of figure, figure out what your real deal breakers are and what you you know, how important are those neighbors? Figure that on the 20 or 40 acre parcel before you go buy a 240. And, and that mistakes yeah. uh, a much bigger I'm mistake. Pounded. And I don't yeah. know, I don't know if we did this on the mulligan or this example, but there's a, a guy in, in real estate that talks about like having to buy the duplex before you buy the fourplex, before you buy the eightplex, before you buy the mm-hmm. 16, 32, and then the giant 64 yep. unit, same exact concept. Yep. And it, it's so, so important. Tim, yep. what do you think? If if your listeners don't realize that Brad and I are not special, we're not extraordinarily smart, and we own some properties together, um, it can be done by anyone. We're not CEOs, we're sales guys. You know, we're not. We don't own organizations, we don't own businesses. But I will tell you, you know, you you've got to you've got to be purposeful. You've got to have intent. It's got to mean a lot to you to make it happen. But anybody who wants it to happen can make it happen. Whether that's a ten acre piece. To 100 to a 250 acre piece there is no doubt that if you want it you can make it happen go to your best buddy that you drink at the bar with and say let's do this damn thing and figure it out mm-hmm. go um go to your neighbor like whatever it is like go to the guy that pisses you off who shoots all the big deer say hey let's go in on a property together. like you can literally figure it out you can literally figure it out and people when you find the right people it'll happen and mm-hmm. anybody 
proof. We're proof mm-hmm. that we're, we are proof that anybody can do it. Yeah. And, and you can get a lot of the same benefits off a very small parcel. So I think, you know, a lot of our best parcels have been those 11 to 20 acre pieces. I mean, some of the ones that just make me sick to think of today are ones that we didn't tell that person very, very clear and concise terms. Hey, we want to buy this mm-hmm. if you're ever thinking about selling it because, you know, yeah, just uh, some of those were, were amazing. I mean, we had one 11 acre property that I think four booners came Jeez. off of. So, wow. yeah, it doesn't, doesn't necessarily take all that much in terms of uh, acreage. Yeah, that's that's great advice because I think everyone dreams of the, the giant parcel, but I'd take I'd take that eleven acre parcel and go four booters, <laughs> <laughs> or I could take a two forty with none. Um, yeah, that's that's really good advice. So, what was what was some of the emotions that, for both of you guys when when you pulled the trigger on that first farm and you're writing the check for you know the, whatever portion of the down payment to, to buy it? What were your emotions like? Nervous? Excited? Both, both, both. I mean. I liked hunting new territory. I mean, that's probably the most exciting part of figuring out a property. Um, once you have one figured out, it kind of loses a little bit of the luster of it. But, you know, that's that's one of the most exciting parts is actually being able to figure out a property, see what's in the neighborhood. Because you never know what's out there until you've had it for a year and mm-hmm. have a chance to put cameras the right way, get the food the right way out there. and and figure out what's what's truly out there versus what the realtor might have said was out there or the neighbors you know a big deer is di- different to a lot of people so mm-hmm. a big deer for for us is probably about the same thing but mm-hmm. some other people a big deer might be you know 130 inch 10 pointer mm-hmm. but you know that's that's kind of the exciting part you never know what's going to walk around the corner but also the nervous part of it is did we make a bad investment or you know, am I going to be able to resell it? What are the neighbors going to be like? Are the dogs going to be running through the property every day? Is, is there no big deer out here? You know, there's, there's a bunch of that going on at the same time. But once you get that first mature deer and in, in velvet or during the rut, something big runs through there. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's quite a bit of excitement. Mm-hmm. So, what was your, I mean, yeah, mine was, uh, did, did my wife really say that I could spend <laughs> this kind of money on a down payment? Um, no, and once you get past that, yeah, it, it's, it's, there's, there's been no downside to it, mm-hmm. like none, absolutely none. Um, it has been, what else do, like, what should we do? Should we get corn or beans this year for our food plot that we worked our tail off? Um, and, and that's, it's just a continuous investment in the property. And um, yeah, I mean, once you get over the initial like hurdle, which is, which is obviously mostly for most people is going to be financial, right? Like mm-hmm. if, we're, if we're being completely honest, everybody wants it. But once you get over that initial, like I got to commit to this and I've got to put it in and I, maybe I have to sacrifice a few things on the back end to make this thing work. Once you get past it, you're like, those sacrifices are 100% worth it. And just the clarity on all that and and really, you know, having having good times with your buddies and like that's just icing on the cake and when the big deer shows up and everybody's oh my god, but, you know, like uh he bought, like you know, all those moments, man, there's so 
Would you guys ever buy a property on your own? Or are you guys always, uh, you know, thinking that structure makes the most sense? If it was one that I really liked and nobody did, I would buy it on my own if nobody wanted to go in on it. But that would be, I mean, I would always encourage others to go in on it with me. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I'd prefer others to be in on it. I guess that's the best way to look at it. But I wouldn't be afraid of buying one on my own. It ha- it just have to be a lot smaller. Mm-hmm. I don't see all that many benefits of owning a property on my own. I kind of like hanging out the the deer camp atmosphere and sharing sharing some of the workload. Mm-hmm. So, the enjoyment. Yeah, and it costs money to operate a deer farm too. I love I love spending Brad's money, so like I'm good with that, you know. I'll I'll, I'll always have a group, you know. Uh, that's funny. That's great. Yeah, yeah. He, he's buying these pack of batteries. You got the other one, so for the for the trail cameras. Okay, now let's see. So I think that's pretty clear advice on someone you know wanting to buy their first farm is uh, knuckle down, save that up that money. Um, for to follow a similar structure that you guys have, find someone that, that you can trust and go buy a bigger farm. And I do think that it, you guys are exactly right. Those larger parcels, A, start to get cheaper. Number two, the competition to buy them becomes much, much less. I mean, there's not a lot of retail buyers, single people that are buying $300,000 farms. Once you get over that threshold, I think you're competing in a different league of buyers and have more negotiating power. You can get, get it for less ultimately on up in percentage of the list price. So that's all you know, really great things to kind of wedge into a better parcel. Yeah, so, for sure. I know, and we know people that have, you know, been in same sort of uh, group purchases where they've bought really big pieces and they've just, you know, whatever happens, they have different, you know, seasons of life where they're like, well, I need to sell my piece or whatever. They'll split it up. If it's a real big parcel, you can split off half of it or, a quarter of it or whatever. There's different ways to buy to their someone. half, buy their yeah. quarter. Which exactly. Do you guys have, I, I read through it briefly. Do you guys have anything to where, um, let's say you wanted to sell a quarter of, of one of your farms and, and exit. Is it, do you guys get it appraised and then they have an opportunity to buy it? Do they do you sell a quarter of the, the farm or is it case by case? I don't think we had anything for, for the Indiana one. I know in the past we've had a, I mean, there's, there's some, there's some verbiage in there about if everybody wants to sell it, you sell it. Otherwise you can find somebody to come in and take your place as long as or we can buy you out. Um, my dad wanted out of one property when we rolled it into the new one. So we were like, all right, well, here's what you, here's your percentage you would have made mm-hmm. if you would have stayed in and we just cut him a check for whatever that different was, less mm-hmm. the taxes on it or whatever. And yeah, but we're, we're very transparent with here's the bank accounts. Here's everything you want to see whenever you want to see it. So mm-hmm. that's cool. So you guys own ground in Indiana and Ohio. What, what state do you guys like more if you could in a parallel universe pick? I mean, my thinking is Ohio is, much longer season, much better suited for a bow hunter. And the deer seem to be 
I mean, other than the huff buck. And, yeah. <laughs> it's hard to say. <laughs> Our, the biggest deer we have on trail cam are definitely in Indiana. The ones we've killed have been in Indiana. But it just seems like there's a plethora of four, five, six-year-old plus in Ohio. I think it has a lot to do with the seasons. Indiana, I mean, you're hearing rifles go off from the whatever it is, November 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th, whatever it falls. You're hearing guns go off all the way through end of December. So there's only a couple couple weekends from middle of November to end of the year that there's not going to be rifles or muzzle loaders or shotguns or something popping off. So yeah, but yeah, I like. There, there is hope for us though. The DNR did. I hope everybody in Indiana came out and like answered those surveys because they see here seem to be open and willing to make some changes to our our rules and regs and yeah we jacked the price up on some stuff and i think our non-resident went up and like and our, like it's a small price to pay for having a huff buck run around mm-hmm. but i would say i hope everybody put their opinion in i think they were talking about a velvet season um you know you could throw your opinion in the, the, the season here which seems to be all year um, when you're sitting in the woods October <laughs> and you're hearing a lot of shots, like it seems to be going out all year. But um, uh, so I, I, there is a lot to hopefully there's some changes I get made. Um, if we could mimic Ohio, we would be, we would have deer that would rival Ohio in a, in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some people who are like, Hey, let me go out and shoot my limited deer. I have to go shoot them. And that's fine too. Mm-hmm. It's just, just a preference on what you want. But I would you know. You know, I, I had the chance to go, you know, go hunt was it February 4th, February 6th. Uh, we hunted six months this year, six months out of the year, you get a chance to hunt. Yeah. Um, because they opened the last weekend in September and you go into the Super Bowl Sunday, essentially, like the second last, whatever. So we hunted six months. We get to hunt deer for six straight months. It's phenomenal. And it's a one buck state. Yep. Not everybody's probably hunting the state of Ohio, but you have the chance and you have limited gun, ton of, ton of bow opportunities uh, into Ohio, even though Indiana does have the hunt spot. <laughs> and right, and yeah. it seems like in Ohio, the, the season just gets better the later it gets. So guys that do a lot of food plots, they're bow hunters. That late season really kicks in around the middle of January and it just gets better and better all the way through to the end of the season. So, I mean, we'll see every buck within, gosh, it seems like miles and miles and miles. We'll see, you know, during the rut, you might see three or four bucks in a day, but late season in Ohio, standing beans with a little bit of snow and below zero temps, you're going to see 15 to 20 bucks, almost guaranteed, almost guaranteed. I grew up in the state of Michigan and there's a lot of deer hunters there and there's a, you know, and it's a, it's a similar gun season to Indiana where it's, you know, middle of the rut until the end. And so there's a lot of pressures. So a late season didn't exist. I didn't know what a late season was until I met Brad <laughs> and he took me over to one of their Ohio properties. And I think the first one that was like, it was like a minus 10 day mm-hmm. and it was, we we're over beans and, and we literally saw 45 deer and 20 of them were bucks. We didn't even kill anything, but you saw everything. And then yeah. this past year, I was hunting with his brother, 
and, and it was a very similar circumstance, not even on that great of a weather day. It was a good weather day, but not even that great where you, you literally are counting 40 something deer and half of them are bucks. And there's just, there's something to be said about pressure of gun, the uh, spreading out of the season, people being able to get their fix when they want to get their fix. They don't have to go all in from November 15th until November, till, till Thanksgiving. And then you don't see a deer because the, the 750,000 people just came after him. When mm-hmm. you spread it out, it just makes a big difference. And so, yeah, I mean, just to his point, man, late season is a is If you have a state that has a late season, you know what we're talking about. It's, it's mm-hmm. phenomenal. Yeah. That is ground a little bit cheaper in Ohio too, where you guys have been buying? Or is it about the same? It's spotty, but it's about the same. It's about okay. the same as we bought it over here. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So when you guys are buying some of these farms and let's say there's no place to crash on them, how far is too far in your opinion? Like how far are you guys searching yeah. from home base? An hour and a half is probably my limit unless it's a special property. Now, having said that, I do owe one, own one that's two hours and 40 minutes-ish, something like that. Do you have but, a place to crash or anything there? Or is it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Family in the area and stuff like that. So, okay. So that changes that it a little bad. bit. Yeah. Yeah. But still they live an hour away from the property. So oh, uh, even if I want to go stay overnight, it's not like you're going to hop in your car and do an after work hunt over there, mm-hmm. but we've killed two one seventies off of it in the last two years, three wow. years, something like that. So yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty special. What about you, Tim? Is it an hour and a half as well, or a little less, a little more? Yeah, when we very first, I mean, that's our Indiana property, it's about an hour and a half. And um, when I took rotation, we were running back and forth um, an hour and a half. You know, you go hunt all day and you come home, see the family, and then you leave in the morning and you take off. And that's about the, the max. Mm-hmm. You know, we started to put a pole barn and we were sleeping on a cement floor this past year to help cut down on some of that. But I would say an hour and a half, you know. The, the, I would say probably the excitement of owning a new piece of property allowed me to do the hour and a half. And, yeah. You know, you got some pretty good deer on there. And so like you, you felt like this ownership to it, but man, you get outside of that to do it consistently year over year would be pretty tough. So mm-hmm. I would put it at that hour and a half, maybe, maybe two, but man, outside of that, you, you, cause you're talking about like, you're not talking about just during hunting season, the grind starts in the spring put yep. in food plots and and you know we're going to work on our building and trying to get that thing up and running and you're going to have a weekend of just food plots and then you know we we've gone and planted trees on a weekend you know we put a couple thousand trees in the ground and you know you start adding these things in and it's an all year like and it truly is a just about an all year i think i'm coming up on i took like a 30 45 days hiatus from being out at any farm but you know it, it, it starts to become an all-day thing but when you're talking about it you know a couple times a month you're driving an hour and a half there and back or you're staying overnight and then you're coming back man you, it's got to be an hour and a half is is a truck mm-hmm. for all, for an all year all all time thing yeah three hours before you decide to leave your garage i mean that's what you're committing yeah. yeah yep that's tough that's one thing that i think a lot of people maybe over uh, exaggerate on how far they really want to buy. And then they buy that for like yeah. two years and like, nah, I'm not buying anything further than that. But yeah, I mean, once, once you get into that daylight, daylight kicks in, you can't do the after work hunts or I mean, the half days are even hard to do yeah. if you want to get it set up early and 
do mm-hmm. all that. But yeah, that's, it, it'd be really nice to have one in my backyard where you can always hop in, you know, mm-hmm. create good access and hop in there, you know, all the time uh, on the right wind, basically any day of the year. But yeah, that's, that's a little bit hard to do where we live. Those, mm-hmm. those, those parcels are not out there. Can't yeah, really $20,000 an acre or, or whatever it is. Dang. Yeah. You guys just need to, you can work, uh, the world of work from home. You guys just need to move out to the, to the boonies. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The only way to be able to do that is to have my boss ride along, I think. <laughs> Dang. Well, keep on dreaming until then. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, here's a question I have that I see pretty often. I want your guys' opinion. So obviously the more poorer economic areas, land is typically a little bit cheaper which in my opinion can also create some issues when you go to sell the ground because there's a pool of less people. And usually those poor areas are further from the major metro areas and everything else that goes along with that. Does that scare you at all when you guys are buying a property or is it just a, Hey, this is a bonus. I can buy, I can buy more for my dollar. Just drive a little bit further. It doesn't scare me away. I mean, that's everything we've bought has been in the most, you know, challenged areas, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, they're all going to be, rural areas yep. I mean, obviously there's some great great you know mansion neighborhoods that have a little five acre piece where you can have some some giants running around but yeah we're not going to be able to afford those really so mm-hmm. if you can if you can get in on one <laughs> fantastic good for you but yep. it's not just in our world really okay no i yeah i agree i agree they don't they don't the, the the economic status of a neighborhood or an area doesn't doesn't deter me. I think you got to be aware of, you know, uh, you know, is it, uh, you know, how maybe how suppressed is the area? But I mean, it's not going to stop you from. Again, the number one goal is to shoot big deer. Sure. If there's a piece of property that's in an area that's suppressed, but man, it's producing big deer. So be it. Mm-hmm. Let's go. You know. Yeah. That's that's hard to argue that there's there's i have no counter argument to that so what is uh, yeah. what's been a what's been a common myth that you guys have learned after purchasing multiple properties over the years of just maybe just a general myth that someone's I mean, probably I've, thinking in their head that's, that's i've always i've always thought i couldn't afford it mm-hmm. like when i was making you know, absolutely nothing hardly enough to to get by on the weekends to buy a case of beer mm-hmm. um but even then I mean, there's deals out there. If you want to look hard enough, talk to enough people, you can find a way to make it happen. I wish I would have tried harder to find a way to make it happen earlier. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing. It's, it's, if you, you know, make sure you know what you're getting into, run the financials on it, you know, have your plan, do all of those things, make sure you, you know, talk to the banks and know what your rates are going to be and how you're going to afford it. And, make sure there's no surprises and everything. But I think I felt more secure once I did my, you know, investigating and research and to, to feeling more comfortable with buying land. The more I looked into it, the more I learned, the more I felt comfortable with it. So how old are you when you bought the first farm with your uh, brother? 30. Yeah. I think I was like 30, 30, 30. Mm-hmm. Okay. Tim, what's, what's a myth that you found along the way? So I think, and I've I dropped some doozy little business, the whole like getting the right people on the bus and all that tonight, mm-hmm. but I will say that there is a phrase that like the only ships that don't sail are partnerships. 
mm-hmm. and, and how we buy property is in a partnership. And, and I think that we're busting the myth on that a little bit because this isn't about financial gain or who's getting what piece of, of uh, profit or net revenue. This is, again, about shooting big deer and being on the same page about trying mm-hmm. to like do land together. And so there isn't this financial piece. And I think when the financial piece is tied to it, maybe, maybe that ships don't sail our partnerships, mm-hmm. but this partnership thing on land with the right people and hunting is, is really great. I was nervous about getting in with, I knew Brad pretty well. Mm-hmm. I didn't know his brother all that well. I knew about him. I, our other partner, Joe knew about him, didn't know him that well. So there was some nervousness there. And so there's probably from your listeners, there could be some hesitancy about like, man, like we even like alluded to it earlier in our conversations about things could get sideways. Mm-hmm. But if the core objective is to shoot deer and to shoot big deer, everything else is kind of just secondary. <laughs> you know, sure. it really, it truly is, you know, like when we cut trees, like, okay, we'll wait three years, big deal. Do, do you want drywall or like we're building a cabin? Do you want to put drywall up or do you want to have tongue and groove? big deal like none of that stuff matters because at the end of the day we're just trying to shoot uh, a mature big big white tail and so like i think just just that whole partnership piece i was nervous about and and there there hasn't been anything to be nervous about that's great yeah i th- i think that's that's key i mean until until tim shoots a super potential three-year-old <laughs> <laughs> Tune in for 2023, baby. We're coming back. <laughs> but this, we're gonna we're gonna have to print up some free Tim shirts. <laughs> have a <have> mugshot. <laughs> Let them hey, unleash them. <laughs> they can find me all they want. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay, so what's been one of the best resources along the way that really helped you in your land journey? And maybe that's just repetitions or maybe it's someone that's been in your corner that's provided information for me it was just all the resources so you have state biologists state foresters um conservation officers and like even when you talk about all the the state resources like i thought there was just basically you know the department of natural resources and a biologist or two and that's it but i've invited you know, I'll invite one biologist of some sort out mm-hmm. to the property and they'll show up with like five of them. And it'll yeah. be a biologist, a botanist, a, a water specialist, uh, you name it. And they're all out there and they're all giving me ideas on, you know, you should do this or you could do this. Here's this equip program or here's mm-hmm. this commercial ag use value form that you can fill out and basically eliminate your taxes on the property. And here's how you can get money back for your food plots that you've put in and wild wildlife enhancements and clean water programs and you name it, like just, just reaching out to the States. Uh, and the, uh, you know, I always growing up, it was like, man, you hated to see the DNR around. He's going to write you up a ticket for something. You don't even, a law you don't even know you're breaking, but <laughs> right. now, now you, you get to know a lot of them and a lot of them are really, really good dudes. And, and they help you out with, you know, all kinds of different stuff that I never knew was out there, but yeah, the state, the state DNR and stuff like that was, was very, very, very beneficial to a lot of the stuff that we've done. Mm-hmm. I just walked a farm with uh, a national heritage. So they're, my farm hat might, may have a special bulb, like some, some rare plants. So I had a, 
the lady for the entire state and then uh, the other local guy. And we walked the farm, man, I was grilling them with questions kind of like you, like, does that plan dumb, real good at playing dumb type situation. And the same, same situation. I learned so much. I learned uh, where there's some tree of heaven starting that I need to get it, you know, killed before it starts even more. Yep. Like I, I mean, we, we always, there's so many quote unquote deer bio or like deer experts that come and consult and set up your farm. I'll take those biologists any day because I think oh, really? you know, they're, they're extremely sharp and they know those plants and everything else so much better. Cut this tree. Don't cut that tree. Use this te- chemical here. And so, yeah, that's a really good answer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so from invasives to mass producing trees to, you know, the persimmons and stuff like that. I mean, when you don't see them coming from whatever area you're coming from and you're in a new area, it's like, oh, the deer love that. Don't cut that. Or here's a bunch of privet and, you know, honeysuckle that you probably need to get rid of or it's going to get out of control. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, these red cedars over here, they're a little bit thicker than you'd want them. So, you know, spread them out or get rid of them all together. Or, you know, there's, there's all, and they write up, they write, they put it all in writing for you. And it's like, you know, pages and pages and pages of information for you to go back to. And they give you other resources. They're saying, oh, you might want to call this guy about this. Yep. And virtually all of them are free to you or actually help you save money on mm-hmm. owning the property. So that was something that I never, I never knew really the extent of what was out there, but yeah, they've been, they've been extremely helpful mm-hmm. and beneficial in helping us save quite a bit of money. That's really cool. Tim, what, what's, uh, what's been a resource that's helped you along the way? I mean, I, I mean, I don't even want to give him credit, but Brad, right. <laughs> I mean, cause they own, they, they own property. And so yep. it was kind of like, you know, being around those guys, those guys talking about the property before I got into the game on it and, and hearing them, you know, I can't tell you how many times do you real from Brad, do you realize how property has gone up in value for this many years in a row? And, and then, you know, we alluded to earlier in the conversation about cutting, cutting some timber and mm-hmm. the value of that. And, um, you know, when I was still leasing, I still lease, there's nothing wrong with leasing, but you know, that's all I ever did. And, and just putting it all together and then, and hearing Brad's brother and Joe and hearing all their stories and, um, being able to turn proper properties for profit. And at the end of the day, you're coming out ahead and mm-hmm. just kind of like, just kind of get you leaning in that direction. You know, I, I certainly already, I, I had an affinity for wanting to own a piece of property, but you know, you're just trying to figure out why and how. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, the, the group that I own with was my biggest, probably, probably leaner on, on officially making the decision to do it. Sure. Yeah, and yeah. The, the market's making me look very smart right now, too. Yeah, so. it's it's real easy to look sharp right now. <laughs> how are your other investments doing? How's your, how's your 401k doing? Not awesome. No, how's your land really. value doing? Very right. awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which, you know, you can look at all the charts, and but at the end of the day, it's what you guys have mentioned. You bought to shoot big deer and hunt big deer and the camaraderie. And so no matter what, that's that's going to be there. So that's that's really cool. And, and I think that's, that's pretty interesting to put together all your guys' information and, and knowledge kind of in one pool as well. And, uh, to operate as, you know, for people that have, you know, at least some experience and men make better decisions collectively, which is obviously great too. So yeah, definitely, definitely. that's just our, you know, personal objectives and what we want to do. Other people, it's, 
going to be something completely different, but for our personal objectives, it makes sense to us. Yeah. And if someone listening to this, it's uh, I think it's like 90% males and most of them are 25 to 35. So that's, that's who you're talking to right now. So probably people that like to, that want to buy a property and, and, you know, chase deer too. Cause, um, that, that's kind of, yeah, exa- exactly. Yeah. It's, and, and I really, I think this is about it here. I, we've been talking here for a while, so I want to be respectful of your time. And I want to thank you guys so much for taking the time to to collectively probably talk to me for five or six hours now since we had to do a mulligan for this one. So I, I really do appreciate it. I know you guys are busy. You have families and uh, to carve out an hour and a half or hour, 45 minutes of your time is uh, very precious. So I wanted to say thank you. And then uh, oh, I'll yeah. give you guys an opportunity to to plug or give any parting words or words of wisdom on the way out. Yeah, I don't have any real parting words or anything. It's just, this is something that works for us and hopefully other people can learn of, you know, some things that might help them or things to think outside the box with what their land journey is. But you know, we don't mind talking deer hunting. We tell the same stories to each other all the time. Yeah. Get, get someone new, get some new ears in here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I mean, my end, man, thanks for having us. It, you know, Brad said it, we love talking this stuff. We can repeat stories over and over and over and over and over and over. And um, it never gets old. And uh, so, you know, I'm going to end this one like I think I ended the last one. I just hope we weren't boring. I hope we gave somebody a piece of, a nugget somewhere oh, for along sure. the way. I think that's the whole idea of doing these things is like somebody yeah. takes a nugget, somebody takes a little bit of inspiration. Like, like I said, we're not... Uh, we're not living high on the hog. We just make it a priority to try to do some of this stuff together. And we mm-hmm. figured out a way to do it and it worked for us. And man, if it worked for somebody out there, I'd love to hear about it because it, it'd be pretty cool. So. Yeah. But, but disclaimer, we take no responsibility of things. Goes yeah. <laughs> I know I, yeah. I'm working on getting a, I need to pay a voice actor to do a disclaimer at the beginning and ending of every one of these episodes, not financial advice, yada, 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 because I'm waiting for that. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'm glad you put that disclaimer. So I, Thank you once again. You guys have an open invitation on Trocam Radio or Land Podcast anytime you guys want. So, uh, and good luck this summer getting food plots in and good luck this fall. Likewise. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. If you made it this far, I just want to say thank you for listening to this week's episode and hope you have a great rest of your week. Quickly, if you made this far, you enjoyed the episode, you learned something, share it with a friend, share it with a buddy that maybe you would want to share this uh, strategy with and go buy a piece of ground. Also, A written review helps so much and also listening it, sharing it and everything. It's all encompassing. So just want to say thank you so much. Hope you guys have a great rest of your week. See you.